You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit LonoCoffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. Think holiday gifts, folks, and you don't have to worry about the size being wrong unless they wanted the five-pound bag. Today, I have former NFL general manager Randy Mueller on to discuss the rebuilding process, coaches as GMs, and the Dwayne Haskins situation, what he thinks from afar. And then I answer your Therapy Thursday questions. Got through a few of them today. Yes, on Dwayne Haskins, but also the linebackers, Chase Young draft do-over, and more. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. Also, go back and listen to the last episode where I discuss, where I have Michael Rothstein from ESPN Covers Lions. He was on and discussed Matthew Stafford's future in Detroit. Might he be an option here? And I also discussed BYU quarterback Zach Wilson with former NFL scout Tyler Roman. Give it a listen, folks. Before I play my conversation with Randy Mueller, just know that you can follow him on Twitter at Randy Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R. And now, here is my conversation with former NFL GM Randy Mueller. Now I'm joined by a very knowledgeable guest, Randy Mueller, former NFL GM, basically with three teams. You were in charge of football operations and a wealth of insight and knowledge. Also does the Football GM podcast with my old colleague, Mike Sando, who is now with The Athletic. Very good one. Again, good insight. And I think it's something that people should listen to. So Randy, I want to bring you on to talk about the Washington football team and you know what it's like to go, you know, you have a first year coach and you're trying to build something here. What are the things that, you know, fans are going to look at record. We're all going to look at record and judge that. What are the things that you would look at to say, this is the foundation being laid? Well, that's a $10 million question, John. There's a <laughs> yes. lot, lot of angles to take a look at. That's for sure. I think with most coaches in their first year, um, and you said it, you really can't go on the record, right? I think the record is really out the window in this case. You do have to consider the level of talent that he's dealing with. And you do have to consider, uh, in my opinion, more than anything, the leadership that they're getting from the top. I think it's it's a hard job uh, for two people when you have a GM and when you have a head coach. And in the Redskins case, it's really just all on Ron. He doesn't have that equal per se to uh, bounce things off of. So that makes it harder. Obviously he is a leader of men. He's a guy that the message is clear to what his players are getting. Um, I think in this, in this day and age, 
players want to be coached. They want to be given a consistent message. I think they'll get that from Ron, the consistency by which he's delivering game plans and selling it to them during the week. And then the being able to make a difference on Sundays. Those are the big things that kind of set the tone for building a franchise. And the players have to know they're being directed in the right way, whether it's year one, year two, or year 10. And, and hopefully Ron's doing that in his first half a season with the Redskins or, or I guess the Washington football team. My bad. <laughs> Can you tell from afar if a team is getting that? Can you watch a game and say, I see this, or is it too hard to do that? I think that's awful hard. If you're not in the building, if you're not at practice every day, I just think it's hard even for, you know, for, for media members who are limited with their access. I think you've got to be there all the time. I know I, as the GM, always felt like uh, I needed to be in a lot of the meeting rooms, definitely at all the practices, conversing with the head coach multiple times per day to have a pulse for that team and what's going on. And I think sometimes you got to even converse with the players. You'll have a group of players that are leaders on that team who you'll respect and get their opinions from. And I don't know if Ron's doing that, but I sure would be doing that as a GM. That's for sure. Do you like the coach as GM role? I, I don't think that history shows that it's an effective model. Um, and again, that's nothing to say negative about Ron or what he's doing. I just think it's a giant job. And I only equate it to when I was the GM, if the owner had come to me and said, hey, do you want to coach the team too? I mean, I would have laughed. You know, there's just not enough, there's not enough time. There's not enough daylight. There's not enough mind matter to operate, you know, in, in that kind of a vacuum. I know as GM, my angle was something completely different in most cases than the coach. And it was a 24 seven angle. I was looking at longer range plans all the time and altering our roster and figuring out ways to get better uh, long-term, but at the same time, alter it short-term. Ron has got to coach the team. I think that's a hard task when you're, when you have all that on your plate and you can say he has Kyle or the personnel department. I understand that, but it's not the same as having a, a, an equal that you can bounce things off of. I, I often go back to Bill Parcells told me when I was a young kid, he said, they always have, I always had Dick Haley in my ear and Dick was the personnel guy, a long respected guy with the Steelers and then later with the Jets. And he said, we could say anything to anybody. We could bounce things off each other. Two heads are better than one. I always think that approach is the best. What are some of the little things that develop during a season that you say, this is where you really need somebody in that role or it's why it's hard for a coach to, alone to do that? Well, I think a coach in, in I, don't, I can't think of a variation where this wouldn't be the case, should be all in, in, in coaching the team. In other words, managing your team and doing just the things that I mentioned before, being involved in the game plan, selling the game plan, being fully immersed in how to win the game on Sunday. I think that's where they're majority, actually 100% of their time should be spent. The other stuff that comes with being a GM is something that really shouldn't enter his mind. And I don't, again, Ron would be the only one to know how much time he spends on, on things outside of game planning and trying to win that game on Sunday. I just think there's a lot of different things that have to be attributed to uh, the organization that the head coach should not be worried about. And I think it puts him in a really a, a hard spot going forward to kind of manage all those fires uh, at, at one time by one person. That's hard. And I would think too, like in any role, it takes time to grow into the role you have and you have to surround yourself with people that you trust in order to no make doubt. that work, I would assume. Is that, you feel, you agree with that or what do you think? 
No, I totally agree with that. And I was in that role in Miami. Nick Saban was the head coach. And even though I had the general manager's title, Nick had all the all the um, authority to do whatever he wanted, but he did allow me to do my job. And we conversed daily many times on many things. And again, we had a good relationship in that we could say anything to each other at any time. You may come out with a little sore backside (laughs) in dealing with with, uh, personalities, but at the same time, it made our team better. And you have to have total trust in that person because you're going to have some disagreements. It's going to make for some awkward discussions sometime, but when the door or get shut and and uh, you go back to your uh, corner, so to speak, you have to trust that the best things for the organization are what's being discussed. And, and uh, you have that in mind when you're making decisions. And one of those decisions has been the future of Dwayne Haskins here or just with how they've handled him. Did you get a chance to watch him much when he played? I did. I watched a lot of tape because the decision itself kind of made me raise my eyebrows. So I definitely did. But go ahead. And what did you think? Um, well, I thought the game that he ended up being his last game, I didn't think he was, uh, I didn't think he was bad. I thought he had improved over the week before. Now the week prior to the week he got benched for, I thought he was bad. And I understand why Ron put him on notice. Um, but I do think again, when you're in a coach centric type structure, winning games week to week, um, I understood what he was doing. Now, I don't know the, the the back half of this decision is going to play out, especially now with the injury to Kyle Allen. It's a matter of does does Haskins get his job back if we're out of the playoff hunt for those last four or five games? I think it's imparent that it, 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 imperative that they find out what they have with him. And I, I read some comments that Ron said about how he can now sit back and, and actually learn how to prepare week in and week out. That's great. But at some point, he's going to have to produce on the field. And, and if you get to the end of the season and you don't have the questions answered, for your quarterback going forward, I think you're doing your, you're really your organization a disservice. Now, if he's already made up his mind and, and has his, you know, the decision made, I understand, but you definitely got to find out at some point before the season is over, what we have going forward. If you want to do what's best for the organization. Now the, some of the stuff too, Randy, that has trickled out is, and the stuff that you hear is about that preparation. Yep. Is that, would that be, does that send red flags to you if you hear a coach talking about that with him or how would, how did you process that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's a red flag. And, and, uh, I think some of that stuff, John, was even said at Ohio State. You know, you'd had to really dig deep to get it. But as a longtime scout and personnel guy, I, I, I know we find ways to get that information. So that information was out there. And that's not to say that Dwayne can't. Um, be a better professional, can't punch the clock with a little more consistency. That's all part of it without a doubt. And there's nobody better to learn it from than, uh, than Alex Smith. So we'll see if any of that, if he takes heed to it, but it's definitely a red flag that, that has to be considered when you're talking about, and again, it would be a year from now having to decide if you want to exercise your fifth year option on a guy like that. And I think that's the other thing I was curious about, too, because never having been in that position and we were all 23 at one point and you know that you develop and grow in any profession. Is that something that a quarterback can grow into taking that kind of like doing the things that they want that they want to see him doing? Is that, you know, in your experience, do guys can guys grow into that or is it one of those things where you have it or you don't? 
Yeah, I think I think that's a hard one. Obviously, we can all develop better work habits. We can develop better focus. We can get better at our jobs without a doubt. But I think sometimes uh, we are what we are as well. And I don't know the kid personally, so I don't know really what makes him tick. Um, obviously, that will be on Ron and his staff to sort out. But uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's something only the guys on the inside, I believe, will know. And again, that comes with like I mentioned, uh, looking in people's eyes day after day after day and, and just seeing what makes them tick. When you would look for quarterbacks, what were some of the traits and qualities that you would, because we're, we're, you know, anybody I can turn on the film and say, oh, this guy's got a great arm. What were the qualities that you would look for? Well, I know the one thing and you can, let's just take for granted that he can make all the physical throws and physically he has the tools you're looking for. It's really all about that. It's about how does he prepare and how does he process? And is he capable of processing everything we're going to ask him to do? Those are the the big issues for me. And, and that's one of the hardest things as a scout to gather as well at, at schools nowadays is getting the straight scoop from sources. And that's why I always depended on veteran scouts to get behind the curtain, to not get the club answers, to get the answers uh, behind the scenes where what are we asking a quarterback to do? And is he able to process all the information? Because it's no secret that at the NFL level, these guys have to process a ton of information. So their football IQ has to be off the charts. And so one, they have to be willing to put in the time to get it. And two, they have to be able to process the information. Otherwise you're, it's going to be a struggle to succeed at this, at this level. And and to make it clear, like, I don't know where Dwayne's career is going to go. I'm not saying can or yeah. can't, but I do like talking to people like yourself who have been through that experience to see, does this something a guy can pick up? I mean, do you remember any guys in your, in your past where you say the guy started out here, but then he learned this because he went through, listen, this is a tough situation for Dwayne Haskins. So if you learn, then maybe this is a, this becomes, maybe this could become a good thing for him yeah. having been sat down. And again, ha- not being in the building, it's tough for us to say, but I would have a little uh, bit of a mm, question as, to, and again, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, or I have the answer to it, but I'd want to know how he has taken the demotion, how he's taken it and what has changed the last five weeks or however long it's been. I want to know from him, um, how he feels about what's going on. I think there's an air of account- accountability that the best quarterbacks that I've ever been around have as well. They're willing to say, my bad, I played bad. I didn't have a good week of preparation, blah, blah, blah. So that comes with maturity. Uh, I think you can definitely mature. So that means you should be able to get better at some of these other things we're talking about. And that's the thing is that sometimes you wonder too, if a guy hasn't gone through a certain level of adversity and this is maybe the first true time where you've gone yep. through that. And that's when you start to learn more about yourself, I would I would assume, right? No, no doubt, 100% right. And I think that's probably part of the process for most in, in settling into that seat as really, let's face it, the face of not only your franchise, but of your city. It's a big job. It's not for everybody. No, no, it's not. And that's why they get paid a lot of money and they get scrutinized to death. We all know that, especially in this town. Last thing I want to ask you about, Randy, the NFC East. <laughs> what do you make of this division and who do you like to emerge from this mess? Yeah, well, I think you called it right. It's definitely a mess. <laughs> that's for sure. Again, the records, you almost got to set them aside because one of them's going regardless of the record. So, uh, you know, obviously, uh, Washington kind of found their kryptonite in that they can't beat the Giants. We've learned that. <laughs> and I don't, know, I don't think that's a good thing going forward. But I think everybody's expecting Philadelphia at some point to step up and get some guys healthy and be able to make enough plays. So I think at some point the real Carson 
Wentz is going to step up. I, I do. Again, I'm not saying I like the Eagles and where they're at right now, but I do think they have the best chance moving forward. Um, I just don't see Dallas doing it. And I think we, we've solved the fact that the Giants can't beat anybody but Washington. So if I had to make a pick right now, obviously I'd go with the Eagles, as I think most people are. So yeah. I'm not going out on a limb. I apologize. I meant to ask you one other thing too. What and you said you watched Dwayne. What other some of the other impressions maybe in general about what you've seen from Washington and just things that you say this is a good building block or things you say they got to get really better over here. Well, I think in his case, or do you mean in general? In general, about the team, not Dwayne. Well, I mean, again, it's hard to evaluate from a distance, but at this point, um, I don't see a team that's making a ton of mental errors. I think they really play hard, especially on defense. I don't know if they have the the depth they need to go through a 16-game season, so I think there's still some work to be done there. But, you know, I felt bad the first Giants game um, when Ron went for the two-point conversion. I felt like they're a better team, but that didn't allow them to show it in overtime. So I felt bad for the team in that regard that they didn't get a chance to to, to win that game in overtime, and I thought they would. So, hey, anytime you're starting with a new crew, a new coaching staff, new structure front office-wise, it takes some time. And I don't see any cracks or crumbles. I just think it's a part of the process to kind of level things out over the long haul. And I think they're doing a good job of that. Yeah, I think it's going to be a long process. Randy, I appreciate your time again for people listening. The Football GM Podcast with Randy Mueller and my old pal, Mike Sando. So thanks for coming on, Randy. Anytime, John. After this break, it's time for Therapy Thursday. Would I draft Chase Young at number two, knowing what we know now? Well... You've heard me talking about Lone Oak Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lone Oak Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, LoneOakCoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right, put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E. OAKCoffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. Welcome back. The doctor is in. Let's get to your questions. First up from Reginald Skinner. He wants to know, and there's a reason why I answered this one too. It's not because the first two questions, but will McKissick make a difference in the run game? Is Cam Sims a legit number two? And when will you see your grill? When will you, when will your grill see you again? All right. See, I answered this one simply for that last question, but I'll get to that in a minute. McKissick is like Chris Thompson, so his impact on the run game won't be huge on a game-to-game basis. It really depends on how the game is going. When McKissick is on the field, Washington passes around 75% of the time. He's a change of pace back when others aren't as effective. In an ideal world, he's not a big part of the run game because it means Antonio Gibson is doing his thing and Washington is controlling the game. 
I do think that he can be used in situations. In the first Giants game, I thought he was very effective running inside because of his ability to make some jump cuts and make guys miss. But in the long haul, again, think Chris Thompson. That's where I think he's just he's really well suited for the pass game with the occasional run, maybe even on a jet sweep on occasion, whatever. As for Cam Sims, well, no way can we jump him to being a legit number two. He's had one big game in his career, and let's be honest here, it was three catches. It was 110 yards, but it was only three catches. And, and I do like him as a player. I love his attitude, but we're a long way from, from the point where we're thinking, can he be a legit number two? I would definitely search for number two in the offseason, but I'd find a place on my roster for Sims. He was a big-time talent out of high school. Injuries have hurt him throughout his career, whether in college or here. But, and so is inconsistency with his hands, etc. If he's a, you know, he would make big plays, then he'd drop a ball. If he's a guy who makes the occasional big play, well, that's good. Um, but I think what you want to see before you get to the point where number two, I think what you want to see is can he be a consistent contributor more so than can he be a number two? Can he be a number three? Could he be a number good number four for you? That's what you really want to find out from them from him. But it's all about consistency. A lot of guys have had one big game in their career. Some guys have had a good season in their career, and then you don't hear from them again. So it's, again, all about consistency. Again, what I like about about uh, about Cam Sims, and we were talking to him on Zoom on Wednesday, and he's a guy who likes to listen. He talked about how much he had learned that he had learned from watching a guy and talking to a guy like Alex Smith. Smith will give him some pointers on various things. Sometimes it's just about how a DB is playing him or how to run a certain route, but he does soak that stuff in. So that's all good. But let's let's slow uh, let's slow the roll here on, on the number two talk until he does it for game after game after game. Anyway, as far as my grill, Reginald, I see it all the time, my man. You should know better than that. You knew that I would see it all the time. Now, the smoker can be tough during the season, but because we're not traveling as much or not traveling at all, I've been able to use it every so often. The grill, a couple times a week, hopefully. It is, it is harder to spend the time doing that during the season, but I do get there on the weekends without a doubt. Um, and again with the smoker, smoked some ribs a few weeks back, hoping to do a brisket real soon. All right, now, chicken foot spaghetti. And you got to answer, if a guy's got to handle his chicken foot spaghetti, you got to answer one of his five questions. So he wants to know, is a Pro Bowl middle linebacker the missing cog in this defense? I think Ron's comment about the linebacker play is, is a big tell. He's always had two-way middle linebackers. All right. Well, I've mentioned on here before that linebacker will be an offseason priority. They have known for a while that they have to improve there. That hasn't been a secret. Again, I've mentioned on this podcast. Cole Holcomb can help if he progresses. But I think they'll be looking to find another one, no doubt. Any defense would like a Pro Bowl middle linebacker. Washington just needs one that they can count on. There are a lot of times that D tackles are being doubled, and yet the linebacker somehow isn't free to make a play. Sometimes you see a guy, I've seen this, where one of the inside linebackers, whether it's Bostic or, or Kevin Pierre-Lewis, they're running right into the double team. And it's it makes you wonder, like you basically made it really easy for them to block two guys and not even have to get off the double team. It's kind of amazing sometimes, to be honest. Um, I think sometimes you see some plays where it's a lot better, but I don't think that they, they've been very good on the whole. And, and I think this team clearly knows that Ron Rivera has been pretty direct. This is a guy, keep in mind, you have a form, you have a defensive coordinator who's a former linebacker and a head coach is a former linebacker. So yeah, they're graded more harshly and I think they'll be looking for someone 
and I was asked about Thomas Davis by another person on, on Twitter, and no, I don't think he's the answer for them. They need somebody who, who can be a, a young stud playing behind this front, and you know we'll see if they can get that guy in the draft or in the offseason. But yes, I think they do need that, um, and that's, that's, a, that's a missing part of this defense. Edris, at Captain PH Algeria. I think that's what it is. Do you think it's the best move for the franchise to continue to start Alex Smith over Haskins? We all know Smith is not in our long-term plan, so why not use this time to develop a sophomore with potential high ceiling? Thank you, and thank you for saying thank you. I appreciate the question. I've given this point before, but I think some still are a little bit confused over this situation. And I think it's really becoming quite clear. And no, I don't think it would be best to just start just to start him now. And I'm going to explain why. There's an assumption that just playing is how you develop. Yes, of course it is. If you're doing all the right things away from the field, or if you're not only doing those things, but then bringing that to the field. In other words, it's not just about the turnovers for the coaches. It was about the wrong protection calls, sending running backs in motion the wrong way, not always calling the right play or going through progressions incorrectly, like in reverse. That is not how you develop. That is just rewarding bad habits. Now, if he starts to show he's doing those things right, taking what he's learning and then studying a lot more than he was, then absolutely put him back on the field. But when you're developing a team, you're responsible for all. And I'm telling you, they will play Steven Montez before Haskins if they don't see what they want. Now, I think it would get to a certain point with that, but I do think that that would happen. If they do, it's as much about trying to shock Haskins into changing his ways or improving his ways to the level that they want. It's, it's a tough love sort of thing. And I've heard over the years, a lot of fans will say, I want them to be tough. I don't want these guys to, I want these guys to earn something. They're making Haskins earn it. And when you have options, then you make guys earn it. And if you, you know, I know other guys will say, why don't they bench so-and-so? Well, they have benched other players. You can't bench everybody. You have to have an option. And if guys, I think if Haskins had been showing what they wanted away from the field, I don't think he'd have been benched because I think they would have said, well, he's at least doing this. Eventually it will pay off. That's been the problem. And that should tell you all you need to know about their thinking. If you want to develop a roster and you don't think a player is living up to those standards and you're in the first year of regime, you do not owe it to anyone to play a guy. Also, he'll never get to where you want if that's what's going on. And I say never. But this is all part of the developmental process. Again, if Haskins learns from this and then goes and does what they want and then takes it to the field, then that's going to benefit him and the organization. And if not, they can move on. They did not draft him. They're not wedded to him. The hard part here is that we've seen Haskins do the work in the offseason. I've detailed it myself, and I don't doubt that it was all real. There's a reason he's in the NFL, but I also know what I've heard during each of the last two seasons. Coaches can see how much work a guy is doing based on how often they log into their iPads. That was an issue last year. They can tell if you're doing the work based on how you handle situations in meeting rooms. Those are... People, fans always say, well, you only saw four games. They're with these guys every day for weeks on end. That's what they're seeing. Keep in mind, this is a coach in Ron Rivera who, my, what I was told a while ago, used to rewrite his playbooks every summer as a player in order to memorize them more. It deepened his understanding of the defense. And again, it led him to, to memorizing everything. I remember talking to him in the past about how many binders he'd keep from 
just from redrawing those plays, and it would be in more detail too. He had a quarterback in Cam Newton, Carolina, who worked the way Rivera loved. He's talked about that. He talked about that on Zoom on Wednesday. I've heard him talk about that a number of times. And again, I'm just telling you what I know. I'm not in those rooms. I'm not in the habit of trying to tear someone down for no reason, and that's not what I want to be doing. I'm relaying to you what I've been told by numerous people, but I know the people in charge feel a certain way. And ultimately, your job is to please your bosses. It's hard to imagine Smith factoring into the future, so you're right about that, thanks to his age and salary cap. The last eight games will tell us everything, though, about his future. I do believe drafting a quarterback will be a priority based on what I've heard through the grapevine, or at least they'll be studying the hell out of them. The good thing for Haskins, he still has eight weeks to change their mind. He's still under contract for the next couple of years. So if he does something that, that they, if he does the stuff that they want and he starts to develop, I think they'll stick with him, at least, as, at least keep him in the program while also trying to look for someone else and not just relying on the further uh, continued growth, but putting him in a situation where you're really going to have to work for it. And I think if he becomes a really good quarterback, I do believe that part of it will have been his ability to adapt and to overcome this situation. I go back to what, when he was at Ohio State and had Urban Meyer, and I read Urban Meyer's books, the big thing with him was E plus R equals O, event plus response equals outcome. The event for Haskins being benched. The response, everything you're doing now, and that will determine the outcome. All right, Phil on the WFT. In a non-COVID world, do you work from home or do you have an office? This is an easy one, kind of. I have a home office where I do a lot of work when I'm at home. But during the week, in the before times, we'd be at Washington's practice facility on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. In the off-season, I'm at home unless they have a press conference or it's during the draft or OTAs. I have a little TV stuff set up in here in case I have to record video or do a TV hit on SportsCenter once in a while. In the off-season, you might get a call and say, hey, we need you on at 1030. I just do that from the office. But yes, during the season, non-COVID, we are at the facility four days a week. Dice K. Price, would you still pick Chase Young at number two, knowing what you know now? Didn't they know Haskins wasn't a franchise quarterback last year? Everyone else did. Well, I don't know about everybody, but, that good, but that's a good question, the first part. I've been thinking about this as well as you see other young QBs in the league. I do know there was some optimism by the new group based on Haskins' arm talent and the way he played the last four games. They didn't want to discount that. You didn't know. He does have talent. If he was getting it, they wanted to find out. Add in the fact that Tua Tagovailoa had a lot of questions about his durability, and unless they were bowled over by him, I think it was going to be Chase Young all along. All we know about Tua is that he's played one good game. Now, I haven't seen him, so it's hard for me to say a whole lot, and, and maybe he goes on to do very well, and then down the road we'll see. The key for anyone when you start to go back and look at a draft is longevity and how they adjust. If they had taken a tackle there instead of Chase Young, especially Andrew Thomas, then yes, I'd be inclined to already second-guess that pick. But I think Young is going to be really, really good. As a pass rusher, excuse me, as a pass rusher for Young, here's what you want to watch for. How does he attack the offensive player? The coaches want him to basically pick a side and attack. That's what you see the great pass rushers do. Right now, he's too often going right into the offensive player allowing them to play with squared shoulders and blunt his momentum. If you play half the tackle, then you're in better position to get them to open and win a certain direction or to make an adjustment off that. Anyway, the point is he's already good and he can get a lot better and eventually make the game-changing plays you want. 
you already see a lot of double teams, chips, and the occasional triple team, or at least having a double team with a third guy paying attention to him. And that doesn't happen for too many rookies. So I am still very bullish on what Chase Young can do. And, and he plays a position of impact. Uh, so we'll see. Anyway, why are cheerleaders still a thing at Hale to Old DC? Simple question. Should we be surprised? No. That's my answer. Let's move on. All right. Whitstable Stevie wants to know, do skins tie up Scary Terry to a long-term deal this offseason? Well, my first thing is why. He has two years left on his contract. There's no need to rush into that. Now, if you can get something done and it's a friendly deal, then sure, if it helps both sides. But you can get something done the following year with no problem if they so desire. They have some other big-time players who are going to require big deals soon during this stretch. Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, for example. If they want to keep, if, if they want to keep both of them, of course. But when you're building a roster, you have to take all this into account. It's why I'd wait until the 2022 offseason before you start adding extra um, money on the cap. Now, if you do as an extension, then it's not going to really hurt if you do it now or in two years. And so, yeah, if you want to do that from their end, it would be good. From the players end, I just don't, I think I'd wait unless they just make it so that way they're taking into account where you're going to be and you're, they're taking into account where the salaries are going to be. But I just think after this whole COVID stuff and the pandemic, I'd be curious to see what the salary cap's going to be before I start looking into giving guys extensions that far out. Anyway, and then from Facebook, Joshua Strachan. This is a long question, so let's go. I do not know if it is much of a question as is my observation. Washington played Ryan Kerrigan a lot more than they did before, which means Montez is sitting on the sideline. I've noticed in the past games that Montez is the better run defender over Ryan. Do you think Washington is or going to sacrifice its chances of winning by trying to play Ryan more? Um, Joshua, there were games where he played a higher percentage of the plays like Baltimore. He had 40 against the, he had 40 against the Browns. Now, that was partly because of Young's, uh, Chase Young's situation with his groin where he hurt it against Cleveland. I don't think they're sacrificing trying to win by playing Kerrigan more. Sweat is definitely a better run defender, and I'd want him on the field as much as possible. I think the kid's really good. It really just depends on the flow of the game to a degree. Against New York and Dallas, the first New York game, Washington dominated the time of possession so Young and Sweat could stay fresh. Kerrigan played a combined 23 snaps in those games. But Kerrigan has been productive as a pass rusher when in the game, so it makes sense to get him a little bit more time. Watch him rush. He's still effective. It keeps Sweat and Young fresh and should, in theory, make them more productive. So he did have 28 snaps against against the Giants. I want to say it was about 37% of the snaps overall. I think that's a good total for him. I think that's what he was probably hoping for and expecting this season. And I think that has led to some of the problems that, or some of the frustration for him. Rivera had, also a few weeks ago, Rivera had told Kerrigan that they would play him more. They do value him. The lack of snaps, though, was a major source of consternation. So I think this is a way to not just keep him happy, but find a way for this guy to contribute. Because again, watch him rush. He can still rush the passer. Anyway, that's it for this episode. Thanks to Randy Mueller for joining me, and thank you for listening. I don't take your listening for granted, so I want to make sure I'm always doing good shows for you. Also, you can do the show a favor. Go on and, on rate it and go and rate it on Apple, Spotify, Spotify, or wherever you can rate it. And thanks to Lono Coffee for their continued sponsorship. Washington at Detroit on Sunday. Talk to you after the game.